Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, happy Thursday to you, and thanks for listening to The Ron Show, either on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast, or maybe all of those. Uh, let's see, we have some local news that uh, just broke here about an hour ago. Misha Maynor, who is serving in the Georgia House, House District 56, Misha Maynor, who left the Democratic Party and then made the rounds on all, all the pundit circles on the right wing, including the Wall Street Journal, has an opponent now. Of course, she has to run for re-election every two years, as is the case when you're in the General Assembly. Her opponent is a fellow by the name of Bryce Berry. And reaching out to him, trying to get him on the show. Hopefully, uh, I'll have an opportunity to do that. If not today, uh, we will effort to get him on tomorrow. He is a public school teacher, Morehouse graduate, originally from St. Louis, Missouri. Can't wait to learn more about him in uh, the coming hours and days. Looking forward to having him on the show. Speaking of running for re-election or running for office fellow by the name of Joe, who has been something of a thorn in the side of liberals and progressives for a while now, I would say from the moment Joe Biden got sworn in anyway, has also made an announcement about his political future. From Joe Manchin's Twitter, or X or whatever we're calling this now, here is that statement. I got into politics because of an argument I had 40 years ago with my dad. John Manchin owned a furniture store in Farmington, West Virginia a small coal mining town of hardworking people. And one day our local state representative came in and asked dad for a favor saying, you owe me for all the things I've done for your little town. When the man left, I turned to my dad and said, now wait a minute, isn't helping Farmington that man's job? That moment defined the difference between self-service and public service. When I told my dad that I was going to run for office, he said, oh, Joe, politics is a bad business. I'm telling you right now, stay out of it. I didn't disagree that often with my father, but that time I did. I reminded him of the famous line from President John F. Kennedy's inaugural address. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I was 13 when I first heard it, and I'm still inspired today by it. My family were devoted Catholics who immigrated from Italy and Czechoslovakia. So to us, President Kennedy was held in the highest regard, and I knew President Kennedy's words would sway my dad. It took him about a minute, but my dad said that he would support me running if I made a vow to serve all the people, friend or foe, and not just myself. That promise made to my dad all those years ago has been my guiding light. I've never cared about where good ideas came from, and I never blame one side for creating a problem, nor believe that only one side could fix them. When America is at her best, we get things done by putting country before party working across the aisle and finding common ground. Many times this approach has landed me in hot water, but the fight to unite has been well worth it. Today, West Virginia is attracting more investment, opportunity, and jobs than it has in decades. Here at home and across the country, we are building more roads, bridges, manufacturing plants, and energy infrastructure than almost any time in America's history. After months of deliberation and long conversation with my family, I believe in my heart of hearts that I have accomplished what I set out to do for West Virginia. 
I've made one of the toughest decisions of my life and decided that I will not be running for re-election to the United States Senate. But what I will be doing is traveling the country and speaking out to see if there is an interest in creating a movement to mobilize the middle and bring Americans together. To the West Virginians who have put their trust in me and fought side by side to make our state better, it has been my honor of my life to serve you. Thank you. Every incentive in Washington is designed to make our politics extreme. The growing divide between Democrats and Republicans is paralyzing Congress and worsening our nation's problems. The majority of Americans are just plain worn out. Our economy is not working for many Americans from the rising cost of food and fuel and everything in between. We have a border crisis with illegal drugs entering our country and killing Americans every day. Our national debt is out of control and Americans don't feel safe, even in their own communities. We are providing critical aid to two of our allies, fighting wars for their survival. And we must prevent being pulled into a major war ourselves. These are not Republican or Democratic challenges. These are American challenges. They affect every one of us, and we need to face them together. I know our country isn't as divided as Washington wants us to believe. We share common values of family, freedom, democracy, dignity, and a belief that together we can overcome any challenge. We need to take back America and not let this divisive hatred further pull us apart. Public service has and continues to drive me every day. That is the vow that I made to my father over 40 years ago, and I intend to keep that vow until my dying day. May God bless America, the great state of West Virginia, and each and every one of you. Well, there you have it. First, let's address those who are celebrating on the left. Oh, thank goodness he's gone. Y'all, I hate to tell you this, but he voted in line with President Biden's wishes 88% of the time. Now, that's the lowest amongst all Democrats or independents. Only, by the way, slightly lower by three percentage points than one Bernard Sanders, by the way, or John Tester out of Montana. But obviously, much higher than most Republicans. The nearest Republican, Susan Collins. We don't like her, do we? Yeah, we don't like her. 67% for Susan Collins. 67% for Lisa Murkowski out of Alaska. 88% of the time, though. I've said that a lot. Like, well, you know, you start hand-wringing about Joe Manchin, what you get from Joe Manchin, but you get 88% out of Joe Manchin what you'd get much less out of any generic Republican. And West Virginia is an unquestionably red state. It's... Uh, Early polling seems to show that the current governor of that state, Jim Justice, Republican, with the early lead so far. So now let's look at the 2024 map. Manchin's exit leaves Democrats with 47 Democrats, three independents caucusing with Democrats, and an even 50-50 split, which, of course, the tiebreaker goes to the vice president. Joe Manchin leaving obviously will give the Republicans a seat. There's just no question about it. And there really doesn't seem to be a whole lot of malleability when it comes to potential flips. I, I mean, I say that there are some potential flips. The ones that Democrats might be eyeing, Kirsten Cinema in Arkansas, sorry, Arizona, famously not a Democrat anymore. She's an independent. 
and there's a movement to combat that. Rick Scott in Florida, maybe? But Florida's not a blue state. We know this now. What about <laughs> Ted Cruz? We've been hearing the promise of Texas going blue at some point in time. And Ted, by the way, has, I believe, at least two so far, quality opponents. The Democratic primary is going to be pretty fascinating to see who's going to take Ted Cruz on. Because I, I know we've been saying this for, what, 10, 12 years now? There's a legitimate chance to flip a seat in Texas with the right candidate. Ted Cruz is not well liked, even by a lot of Texas Republicans. So maybe, maybe Ted Cruz. Yeah, it's it's a slim pickings though. <laughs> uh, you could argue that there 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 might even be some some pluckable seats for Republicans uh, as well. Let's see. You could point to Virginia, Tim Kaine. But I think we just saw from Virginia, as long as the pro-choice, pro-life conundrum is somewhere on the ballot or in the lexicon, Virginia is a safely blue state. What about Sherrod Brown in Ohio? Ohio just dealt with their abortion question, so is it even a question in 2024? Sherrod Brown could be in trouble, perhaps. And everybody else on the map looks pretty safe. So with Manchin's departure, the question is, I think for Democrats, how do they win in a state like West Virginia? We just saw Andy Bashir was able to pull it off in Kentucky, but it's not all that often that it's a possibility. Joining me to talk about this is Kendall Scudder, host of the podcast Pod Bless Texas. He's also vice chair for finance for the Texas Democratic Party. Uh, a founding partner of Armadillo Strategies, a consulting firm in Dallas, and he also ran for state senate in 2018 and losing by the closest margin of any Democrat in 15 years. So he might have an idea. Kendall, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So uh, obviously with Joe Manchin leaving, it, it begs the question, what can Democrats do to win in states that they have not had a whole lot of success in in the last 20 to 30 years? This is going to sound very strange, but hear me out. All right. Um, I think that the very first thing that Democratic candidates can do is be human. Mm. Uh, I have a, I have a real concern with Democratic candidates that are just policy wonks, right? Mm. We have a lot of those, a lot of really smart, qualified candidates who think that if someone disagrees with them, they can just explain their way out of it. Um, but that's exactly what rural folks don't like about Democrats <laughs> is that they think they're a bunch of eggheads that think they're smarter than everyone. Mm -hmm. Be a human. Connect with people. Talk to them about issues that are important to them. If you disagree with them on that, something, move on. And let's talk about something we can agree on. But lecturing someone about vaccines is not going to get them suddenly to be your 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 big supporter. And right. I just think there's a real problem with inauthenticity in our, in our party because our candidates are just sometimes too smart for their own good. So with Manchin's exit, and obviously Texas is on there as well, I see in 2024, you speak about inauthenticity, and I, I've never really thought Ted Cruz had an authentic bone in his body. <laughs> so, and, and you guys have at least, I think, a couple of good candidate options uh, uh, vying for the uh, nomination. So uh, with, with Manchin leaving, it's, it seems like fait accompli that West Virginia just doesn't have another Joe Manchin uh, in its arsenal. Is, is Texas the state that Democrats are going to look to? 
I think that the Ted Cruz race is a perfect example to prove my point. Uh, in a state where we have constantly been losing um, up and down the ballot, we saw an election last time Ted Cruz was on the ballot where the guy squeaked out a win. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, partially was because we had a really great candidate in better work, but it was also partly because we had a very inauthentic candidate on the Republican side. Mm -hmm. uh, Texans do like very big personalities. If you think of Texans that have made a mark on politics throughout the years. They are all very big personalities. Uh, and so hopefully we'll be able to find our own really big personality that folks in the state can relate to um, because Canker and Cruz has got to go. You'll get no argument out of me or most of my audience on that. Kendall Scudder joining us from the podcast Pod Bless Texas, also vice chair for finance for the Texas Democratic Party. We'll have more of our conversation with him when we return in just a minute here on The Ron Show, the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Thursday. So the big national headline, Joe Manchin, is not going to run for re-election in 2024. And that leaves Democrats in a bit of a lurch. With 48 seats in the Senate with the three independents caucusing, that gave them a very slim lead. And and now they'll not have that, except for the vice president's tiebreaker. And that's only if they hold on to the seats they have. So the question we have is, how can Democrats do better in states that are a little bit more rural-leaning? Joining me to discuss that is Kendall Scudder. He hosts the podcast Pod Bless Texas. Also the vice chair for finance for the Texas Democratic Party and a founding partner of Armadillo Strategies, a consulting firm in Dallas, and candidate for office himself. So the question is, how do we win in rural districts? And I, I sometimes I, I have to think, first of all, you, you have to get in the game to start with. Democrats seem to be shy about even running for office in parts of the country or parts of their states where they don't feel like the votes are there. But you got to start somewhere, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, I'll use my own race as an example. Um, spoiler, I didn't win that one, right? But I, over I overperformed it significantly. Okay. It was a district that was drawn um, to have Hillary Clinton, you know, in her race, she got 28% of the vote in the district I ran in. Yeah. And I got 42. Um, I, I overperformed other Democrats that were on the ballot. And the way I did it is I showed up to every, you know, pancake, breakfast, fish fry, everything you can imagine. And I really didn't talk politics with people. I just was a human and made friends. Mm. Um, but when people did want to talk politics, I talked to them about issues that were important to them, not issues that were important to me. Right. Um, it just happened to be that a lot of their issues were also my issues because I'm from out there. Right. But I wanted to talk to them about, you know, their public schools and our failing foster care system at the time. You know, 222 kids had died in foster care in Texas. Surely mm. we could understand um, that the state needs to start putting some investments there. And in Texas, we can always point to the fact that Republicans have been in charge for 30 years. And if they think that there's a crisis on the border or if our public schools are in shambles or if there's a failing foster care system, there's only one set of shoulders to lay that out. Hmm. Are rural voters even open to hearing someone blame a party that they've been supportive of for quite a while? I think that they are. Um, I think that they would prefer for you to uh, put it on an individual person instead of blanking it over the party, right? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, 
they're they're people. The problem is we we don't have those same media mechanisms like Republicans do with yeah. Fox News or whatever. And so we haven't been able to communicate. They haven't heard our side of the story. Right. They don't know that we're the reason that we're getting a whole bunch of high speed internet lines laid all throughout Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's that's courtesy of Democrats. Um, I mean, ever since. You know, even FDR, any major program that you've seen has come from Democrats. Um, you know, Republicans called the Rural Electrification Act socialism. Um, so if you if you walk over to the wall and flip a light switch, you can thank a Democrat for that. Okay, but I think those social issues are really important. But when you're talking directly to to a voter, mm-hmm. you need to talk to them about what's important to them. And a lot of times that has to do with their jobs, their families, yeah. their kids. How do we keep them safe uh, and make sure that they're able to to achieve the American dream? But what I was going to point out was I think another problem is yeah the rural electrification act actually kind of was socialism but the the term in and of itself has been demonized so much that you can't even you can't even utter the thought or you know the fact that when when blizzards hit the state of Texas what comes and clears the roads socialism you know, the police department that's social all these things that we we send to we 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 just kind of brush off as well we can't talk about that because it'll be akin to socialism it seems to me like democrats don't do a very good job of telling some of these same voters listen y'all i i get that you're scared of something that's been demonized to you you've been misled for decades now to me that's where i i try and grapple with how do you find the way to say that to let them know Fox News, your talk radio host that you've loved for all this time, they've been misleading you. So, you know, uh, Congressman Sam Rayburn, who was Speaker of the House, it's from Bonham, Texas. Uh, and and when folks would call him a socialist because he was supporting these large FDR type programs, um, his response was always, you call it socialism, I call it applied Christianity. Mm. <laughs> mm. Well, uh, well, we know Democrats tend to, tend to be a little shy about talking about religion in such a manner, but there has to be a way to frame it to, to point out that like all of these programs that uh, a lot of Republicans like to show up for the ribbon cuttings for, you, you may have heard them once before deemed a socialism, but they're pretty popular and so popular that the Republican politician who voted against it showing up to get a photo in front of it. Yeah. And look, if you're uncomfortable talking about religion, that's fine. Don't do it. But if you feel comfortable with it, I think you should talk about it. I'm, I'm a book of Matthew guy. And when I was hungry, they wrote bills to eliminate school breakfasts. And when I was thirsty, they let corporations poison our water. And when I was a stranger, uh, you pried my child out of my arms and locked her in a cage. Mm. And I just don't think that's the best that we can do for the least of these brothers and sisters. Mm. Uh, you know, if you feel comfortable with, with uh, you know, religion and you're able to talk about it, I think you should. Just be a human. Be who you are. And and if you're a candidate, that's just the best advice that I think I can give you because you cannot explain your way to a lot of votes. you got to build relationships. And those relationships are strong and they will be generational. And we are finding out what happens when Republicans build those relationships and we have it. Kendall Scudder joining us. He's host of the podcast Pod Blast Texas, also the chair for finance of the Texas Democratic Party and a founding member of the Armadillo Strategy Consulting Firm in Dallas. Uh, Kendall, are there Democrats that you see uh, at the state and national level that are doing this right? You know what? I have always been very, very impressed with Tester in Montana. Um, 
I just think uh, he's the greatest. Uh, I, I mean, especially for where he's at. Mm-hmm. If you are watching Tester from outside of Montana and you may watch him, be like, that doesn't relate to me at all. Well, that's because he's not here to relate to you. He's here to relate to Montanans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think he's doing a really great job. We have a, a big rising star here in Texas who's a state representative named James Tallarico that I think is is doing a wonderful job of, of talking about how his Christian faith ties in with his progressive values and his mm. advocacy for public education. Mm. Uh, and he does it in a pretty masterful way. He's gone viral nationally several times. And uh, I think we haven't seen the end of him. Um, I think that there, there are a lot of folks down ballot that are learning how to do it right. Uh, and the right way is the way that works best for your community, not what works best for Twitter. It's what works best to make sure that you're banking votes. Um, that's, that's how we win. And that's how we were able to build progressive power. Good insights there. Kendall Scudder, Pod Bless Texas. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate the conversation today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you. All right. If there's two things that I love diving into, one would be polling and maybe a little bit too much from time to time. The other would be GOP debates. Last night, manna from heaven. So we've got audio. We'll dissect winners, losers, crazy-ish that was said and crazy responses to crazy-ish that was said. When the Ron Show returns here on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is the Ron Show on America One Radio. All right, so let's do a little reviewing of last night's GOP debate. Y'all know I love to dissect the debate. So from the very beginning, the presumptive chief challenger to Donald Trump was supposed to be Ron DeSantis. And for much of the run-up to the Iowa caucuses, New Hampshire primaries, the first states that are going to weigh in, Ron DeSantis was too meek, too timid to attack Donald Trump. And I think that's where he royally screwed up in having the opportunity to coalesce all of the non-Trump GOP support behind him. It's why he sat on a dais last night with five other candidates as opposed to just he and Donald and maybe one also ran. I firmly believe that. Now, he would still be behind Donald Trump. There's no doubt about that. But he'd be much less behind Donald Trump with some numbers from some of the other folks who now have support of those being polled that he couldn't garner. And at the end of the day, sometimes you just want to be in the game. The 9-7 and seven New York Giants made it to the Super Bowl to take on the 16-0 and 0 New England Patriots. You just want to get in the game, right? Remember who won that game? The 9-7 and seven Giants, right? Anyway, now Ron DeSantis has found his confidence to start taking swipes at Donald Trump. And, and all he's managed to do in the process of that is lose any support that he already had from folks who were supportive of Trump but ready for somebody else. They wanted somebody just as dickish, but maybe with a lot less of the baggage. And, and now his, his numbers are cratering. But hey, credit where it's due, he's giving Joe Biden campaign ad clips aplenty, just like this one from last night. 
He should explain why he didn't have Mexico pay for the border wall. Yeah. He should explain why he racked up so much debt. He yeah. should explain why he didn't drain the swamp. And he said Republicans were going to get tired of winning. Well, we saw last night, I'm sick of Republicans losing. Now, all along, Donald Trump wasn't going to be at this debate or any debate because he won't sign the pledge to support whoever the nominee is, even if it's not themselves. Donald Trump doesn't do anything that would benefit anyone but himself. So he's not going to be made to answer those questions, at least until the general election debates. If he isn't behind bars, can you do those from behind bars? But don't think for one second that he's not represented in absentia. Listen to Vivek Ramaswamy's opening statement. Uh, Mr. Ramaswamy, let me turn to you. Uh, please make your case. Why would you... Uh, why should you be the nominee and not the former president? I think there's something deeper going on in the Republican Party here. And I am upset about what happened last night. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. We have a cancer in the Republican establishment. Let's speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. And I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over my, yield my time to you. And frankly, look, the people there are cheering for losing in the Republican Party. Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bringing more people into our party. You think the Democrats, and we've got Kristen Welker here, you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Kristen, I'm going to use this time because this is actually about you and the media and the corrupt wow. media establishment. Ask you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? Answer the question. Go. Mr. Sorry. This is how we get our country back. We need accountability because this media rigged the 2016 election. Mm. They rigged the 2020 Wait, election what? with the Hunter Biden laptop story. Mr. Ramos, and they're going to rig this election. Your time is up. Accountability. Let me turn That's to Governor, Governor Christie. Why you? Wow. Pardon my French, but what a dick move going after Kirsten Welker. I mean, how long do we have to play out this tired right wing trope about the media? And let's be real about the Russia collusion hoax. It wasn't so much a hoax as the Mueller investigation was something of a farce and made so by all of the obstruction and use of executive privilege to shield folks from testifying in the first place. That was the hoax. I mean, let's just cut to the chase here, okay? Russian agents did conspire to influence the 2016 election. They did undermine Hillary Clinton. And they did help Donald Trump. And Trump, and along with his allies, his inner circle, they eagerly welcomed the help. Even took some clandestine, shady meetings. Look, Kathy, and I'm not going to relitigate Russia, but Kathy Young at the Cato Institute wrote a fantastic piece, uh, and I'll share it in today's show notes, where she said, the idea that the Mueller report exposed Russiagate as a hoax rests on a false binary. Either Trump and or his associates actively conspired with Russia, or Trump has been the victim of a Russia, Russia, Russia witch hunt. But there is also another scenario that Trump ran as a Russia-friendly candidate. I think that's without question. 
Russia interfered in the election to help the Russia-friendly candidate Trump, as the Mueller report very clearly states, and Trump and his cronies were quite all right with that. And that scenario is not a hoax or a concoction of the discredited Steele dossier. Now, the single most important, I say important, no, the single moment that everybody is coming away from last night's debate talking about is, again, the back and forth, the story arc between Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley. They do not like each other. And I have a theory as to why Vivek is going hard for Nikki. Pardon the phrase. Um, Nikki Haley's ascendant. She has seen her numbers grow. She has become, I believe, the primary combatant that may survive these early states to become Donald Trump's primary opponent. And so Vivek doesn't stand a snowball's chance in hell. He just doesn't. I mean, he's crazy. Absolutely. I mean, just as a sprayed roach, just absolutely batshit crazy which <laughs> tends to work in MAGA country, but we already have a MAGA country king of crazy, so Vivek doesn't stand a snowball's chance in hell. Anyway, I think Vivek is in this race not to be Trump's vice presidential candidate because he doesn't bring anything to Donald, not a state, not, nothing. But I do think he is auditioning for a cabinet position. Whew, shudder the thought, right? Anyway, once again... The right got into this conversation about TikTok and banning TikTok. Oh, China and TikTok, TikTok and China. Uh, and I, <laughs> I just kind of laugh about it because we're we're talking about an app that entertains, and I, I I don't know what data TikTok could be getting from me. And I rarely am on TikTok, honest to goodness. I don't use it very often. But uh, whatever data they're going to get from me has absolutely no usefulness to China militarily. <laughs> no state secrets come from me. Uh, what are they going to get? Some shopping patterns? What I order on Amazon? Where I order food from Uber? I don't get it. Anyway, once again, uh, the five on the dais were, were, were tasked with uh, talking about TikTok and whether to ban it. And Vivek caught some flack because he's on TikTok. And you know he's been rehearsing this for quite a while because he had this one cocked in the chamber, ready to fire at Nikki Haley. Well, I, I, I want to laugh at why Nikki Haley didn't answer your question, which is about looking at families in the eye. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. The next generation of Americans are using it. And that's actually the point. You have her supporters crapping her up. That's fine. Here's the truth. You're just the easy scum. answer is actually... <laughs> I'd never been so hot for a woman in my life. That was sexy. You're just scum. Now, I've made it no secret that uh, I actually kind of sometimes might actually occasionally agree with Chris Christie, but even Chris Christie is kind of stuck in the 20th century boomer speak when it comes to TikTok. TikTok is not only spyware. It is polluting the minds of American young people all throughout this country, and they're doing it intentionally. Is it because TikTok is used more by younger folks who are more liberal and progressive, and that doesn't set well with you? I mean, I'm trying to think, anytime I've ever gotten on TikTok and thought, you know, 
the Chinese government, they're all right. Or, you know, this communism thing, I think I could give it a go. Or thought anything anti-American? Come on, Boomer. I don't know, y'all. For the most part, I don't feel like we learned anything new that we didn't already know about these candidates. I do still happen to think that, first of all, I thought this was the best debate that Ron DeSantis has had to date, and I don't think it's going to matter. I think it's way too late in the game for him. He's, again, he he had the opportunity to coalesce all the non-Trump Republicans before the dais got full and before anybody else uh, got traction. And now, again, Nikki Haley has traction. So I think he's lost out there. And in now pivoting to attack Donald Trump, he is alienating any who supported Trump, who thought Trump's fine, but was ready for somebody else other than Trump, you know, minus the baggage. Um, you know, I heard a, I heard an awful lot of rhetoric about, uh, you know, finishing them and wiping them off the net map and yada, yada, yada. And and in some cases it was attached to the word Hamas, and in some cases it wasn't. But I don't think that's a mis- you know I don't think that's a, a, a misstep. Um, Nikki Haley wants to talk about how Hamas is supported by Iran, et cetera, and so on. But you know the fact of the matter is, y'all, and, and I can't say this enough. Little history lesson: Hamas only exists because Israel actually supported its infancy to take down the PLO in the first place. So. Be careful what you do. It's it's like it's like when the United States was covertly supporting Al Qaeda to grind down the Soviet military in Afghanistan. Well, how did that work out for us? There's another little rant that Vivek went on about Ukraine not being a democracy. Ukraine is not a paragon of democracy. This is a country that has banned eleven opposition parties. It has consolidated all media into one state TV media arm. That's not democratic. It has threatened not to hold elections this year unless the U.S. forks over more money. That is not democratic. It has celebrated a Nazi in its ranks, the comedian in cargo pants, a man called Zelensky, Wait, doing it in their own ranks. That is not democratic. The guy who wanted Tucker Carlson, Greg Gutfeld, who else was it? Joe Rogan and Elon Musk to moderate this debate is the same guy who is howling about state-run media in Ukraine. The guy who is essentially the shadow campaign face of Donald Trump in absentia wants to talk about election integrity? Uh, That's kind of rich. And, oh, by the way, when he's not boot-licking for Israel, he might ought to have it pointed out, But and, and, and we'll get to the Nazi thing in a minute, he, he might ought to also have it pointed out that Israel is not exactly a beacon of democracy right now either. Do you know you're not allowed to protest against the war in Israel? That's right. The Israeli Supreme Court rejected a request to hold anti-war marches within the nation of Israel. Now, after Tuesday night's election losses, and actually a lot of the losses since the Dobbs decision, the Republicans are, are literally, they're, they're the dog that caught the bus, and they don't know what to do with it. They, they, they've got their teeth on the tire, and they just keep getting... They don't know what to do with it. I think Nikki Haley kind of revealed some word shopping that you're going to start hearing a lot more of. Listen to this from last night. As much as I'm pro-life, I don't judge anyone for being pro-choice, and I don't want them to judge me for being pro-life. So when we're looking at this, there are some states that are going more on the pro-life side. I welcome that. There are some states that are going more on the pro-choice side. I wish that wasn't the case, but the people decided. Let me sum that up for you all. After a a few post-Dobbs electoral ass kickings they're done hollering you're baby murderers now it's more along the lines of well we should just let the states decide this is a personal decision it's a personal decision but we got to let the states decide 
And if you live in a state as large as Texas, the personal decision has to be decided upon by your state legislature and governor. Put that on a referendum? Oh, they're not going to do that. Although I'm starting to hear some rumblings on the left about putting some state ballot measures, and it's really hard in states like Florida, but if they can get that on in Florida and they can get that on in Nevada and in Arizona, uh, other states that uh, they have control, Wisconsin right now, the left has control. If they can do that, and that drives turnout in 2024, a lot like the 2004 anti-gay marriage push was for uh, the re-election of George W. Bush, there could be a Biden boost. However, the party of states' rights still had Tim Scott, who didn't get the memo. We need a 15-week federal limit. Three out of four Americans agree with a 15-week limit. But don't make the American people think that you're going to push something on them when we don't even have the votes in the Senate. It's important that we're honest about that. Not only is she right about that, she's dangerously close to giving a civics lessons to the Republican base that doesn't like knowing things about civics. Hey, Nikki, while you're teaching them, why don't you talk to them about gerrymandering and voter suppression? And you want to slip some critical race theory in there, too? (laughs) Get in a little supply and demand. Maybe uh, how the Supreme Court's been stuck at nine since, what, the early 20th century or how the electoral college is outdated because of that. I'm just spitballing here. Okay. So who won the debate? We'll discuss that when we return on the Ron show, the American one radio app, American radio.com, wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron show. Final segment for Thursday. And I promised at the end of the last segment, I would talk to you about who, who I kind of think won the debate. You, you know, who won the debate? Honestly, he's the guy who wasn't there still. They didn't even bring him up. There was no discussion about uh, his several trials, his antics at his fraud trial, or how he probably incriminated himself with his own testimony. When, when you get away with that, when, when there is a GOP primary debate that you are purposely not participating in, but you're a part of the primary, and they don't bring you and all of your missteps and misdeeds up, when Vivek and Nikki are sparring at one another, then yeah. You're the lead dog and you won. I think Ron DeSantis may have been the only person who even brought Donald Trump up. Yeah, so the the guy that wasn't there was the big winner. But if you have to give a consolation prize, and I think you do, then yeah, Nikki Haley probably did herself some favors last night, setting herself up for 2028. And I'm going to tell you something. That softer rhetoric, that softer tone she's taken with the abortion conversation, I've seen this before, y'all. I've seen it before. Nikki Haley was the governor of South Carolina, and I lived there for 11 years, so she got eight years of my 11 as governor of that state. I saw her tone soften. Remember the Confederate flag? She was not going to take that Confederate flag off the state house grounds. She just wasn't going to do it. Well, because she's a Republican, and Republicans in that state didn't want that flag to come down. They somehow, for some reason... Needed there to be a reminder on state house grounds what South Carolina used to be. Don't know why. I do know why. Anyway, and then the Dylan Roof thing happened. The Mother Emanuel Church slaughter. And then she kind of realized, you know what? We can't have that flag flying on state house grounds. She softened her tone. She softened her tone on gay marriage. She feverishly defended the state's gay marriage ban. 
And then she softened her tone a little bit when said when she said that, you know, she's going to support whatever the Supreme Court did. And then she, woe is me, after the New York City Pride Parade in 2017, we got booed out of a restaurant. You are Donald Trump's UN secretary for crying out loud. You opposed gay marriage until the Supreme Court finally made you come to terms with the fact that it's going to be the law of the land. Oh, and by the way, she uh, was in Iowa. here. This was back in August. I'm going to read this from the uh, Iowa Capitol Dispatch. Former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley told a question asker at the Des Moines Register Political Soapbox Saturday they were misinformed by Google for believing she was against gay marriage. Get your news from somewhere else, Haley said. This is what I'll tell you. People should live the way they want to live. I believe in freedom. I believe in making sure that people can live the way they want to live, and I believe the government needs to stay out of the way. Well, she didn't always believe that. (laughs) And I can attest to that. Hell, I should go to Nikki Haley and ask her for some money back because I had to drive myself, uh, my fiancé, his family, my family, and our best men. We had to to go to Washington, D.C., You know how much money that cost us? Thousands. Thousands that didn't go to South Carolina vendors and other assorted wedding businesses. But yeah, I've seen that before. And that's the the, the moderating version of the GOP that whenever this MAGA fever ever breaks is probably the future of the Republican Party. One can hope anyway. I mean, you can at least dialogue with Nikki Haley and Chris Christie, with some semblance of sanity. Going to try and talk to Vivek Ramaswamy or, or Donald Trump, it's, it's like trying to rationalize with a poop-throwing monkey. Don't get me wrong, they're all absolutely bonkers batch when it comes to a lot of foreign policy discussion. Oh my God, I, I try and listen to these emboldened, uh, stiff-spined, politicians from the right in particular when it comes to foreign policy and how we are just constantly in this this tone and tenor of dictating to the rest of the world how it's going to be or else. And I just shake my head and kind of blush with embarrassment a little bit. There's absolutely zero acceptance on the right that a lot of the world's problems have our fingerprints on them. And yet I did start hearing, again, some softening of tone when it comes to, for example, the fentanyl crisis. Everybody wants to attack China. Uh, Vivek, was it Vivek wanting to send the military to our southern border? Uh, We were going to to start shooting at vehicles who are sneaking fentanyl into the country. And those are going to be American vehicles driven by American citizens because most of the fentanyl comes into this country is, is brought in by Americans and not the drug traffickers from Mexico. But but you started hearing some softening of tone. I, I was it Chris Christie. Chris Christie was one of the first, I believe, to say something about the fact that we need to deal with the demand problem. And I I agree with that a thousand percent. Like, why aren't we treating drug abuse in this country like we would cancer? He I believe he he likened it to cancer. As a matter of fact, eliminate the demand, then there's no use for the supply, right? We're finally starting to hear right-wing politicians talk about mental and drug abuse treatment centers. Uh, That sounds kind of socialistic, if you ask me, but it's necessary, am I right? 
Also, in other news, y'all, Tim Scott actually has a girlfriend. We we physically saw Tim Scott with a girlfriend last night after the debate, and she's very pretty. Hmm. Did I mention, by the way, that I've been toying with growing a beard a little bit? Uh, those who have seen me out and about or maybe seen some of my social media. Yeah, I've actually grown a little bit of a beard. Right now, it's it's down to just a goatee and mustache, and I'll probably shave it here in a few days because it gets, it gets bothersome after a while. But yeah, I've been toying with growing a beard here for a little while. Yeah, a beard. Curious what Tim Scott would look like with a beard. Hmm. Oh, and let me correct myself. It was Ron DeSantis that wanted to send the troops to the southern border to start shooting at cars that are bringing in fentanyl, the cars driven by Americans. Okay. Oh, and Vivek, he's the one that wanted the Canadian border wall, too. Wow. I want some of what he's smoking. Back tomorrow, y'all, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, and then wherever you podcast afterwards. Show notes, RonShowATL.com. We'll see you then.